Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the August 13, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. We're not made to walk on water. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Burt Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. I often need assistance. I don't know about y'all, but I need a lot of help. Sometimes I am aware enough to ask for it. At other times, people kindly offer it as they watch me struggle with something. Uh, so I'm going to start because I'm going to ask us to share stories of when we've tried to do something but ended up needing help with it. When I was in high school, so I was a straight-A student, right? I was Mr. Serious about the academics. And of course, we had the obligatory science project. Mm. I decided that it would be awesome to make a working lock and dam in a box. And so I designed it all and figured it all out. And my dad looked at it, who actually is very mechanically inclined. And he said, son, that's not going to work. I was like, oh, no, it will. You don't understand how these things work. And so <laughs> the man, it was a saint. He stayed up with me till past midnight in the garage trying to solder together cans and little tubes and blah, blah, blah to try to make this lock and dam work. It, it didn't work. And the, in spite of his best efforts and his patience, I'm hoping he thought of it as a learning experience, which it was, but the teacher did not fail me, thankfully. But I learned that I wasn't always right and my ideas weren't always good and that I wasn't very mechanically inclined. So engineering, thankfully, was not the path I chose. I, I'm just sitting here thinking how hard it was to bend to be your mama, David. Oh, <laughs> bless them both. Bless them both. No. Oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's fine. No, there are way too, like you, David, there's way too many things that I I try and then I realize I need help. And that's still true today. But one specific thing that I really wanted to do, especially as a, a preteen and going into my teenage years, I was all every summer, every day I was at the community swimming pool and we had three different height diving boards, like one really high diving board and one medium and then one just do normal height. And I could jump, I could swim, I could dive. And I so badly wanted to be able to flip. And I would try and I would try and I would try off the side. I would try from lowest board and I would get all my friends who could do it. So you just need to tuck under and throw yourself over and you do it. And I would try and they would ask and they would tell me and I couldn't do it. Then I finally decided the best thing to do is to do it from the high dive because then I'd have plenty of room mm -hmm. <laughs> to get that thing under. That right? makes sense. It makes sense. I, I got up on that high dive and I followed everything they told me to do and I landed flat on my back and oh. was just laid there for a minute <laughs> in Ooh. shock and had the wind knocked out of me and everything. And I said, you know what? I'm okay diving and jumping. I'm never going to try this again. <laughs> I, it's been a couple times when Andre, my wife, when our children were young, would leave on a business trip. And one time in particular, I did, I always thought, this is going to be fun. We've got, I got, had everything planned out. I'll take care of the girls. You go, we'll make it just fine. And one time in particular, I did have to ask her mother to come help me. <laughs> it was just, it was, they were at that age. It was a little too much. We had some sickness with one and I thought, whew, 
I don't know how you do it. <laughs> uh, we survived, but with the help of my mother-in-law. Okay, so this actually happened recently. It's a little bit embarrassing. I, for the first time in my life, had the opportunity to ride a jet ski. Y'all, those things are hard to drive. <laughs> yeah, but they're so, hard, man, they're fun. They're hard to stay on. And I could not drive it and stay on it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I tried so hard and I really wanted to be able to do it. And I just couldn't. And so one of the teenagers had to drive me around and let me have fun because I couldn't drive it all by myself. <laughs> Our dear listeners may have already guessed the text for today. <laughs> it's a very familiar passage, which often can make it more difficult. Right, Daniel? That's right. <laughs> and that's why we we have you with us. <laughs> oh, <Right>. boy. <laughs> <laughs> because we know you'll help sort it out for us. So we're in your good hands. All right. I hope not to disappoint because the <laughs> truth is I don't really know what to do with this story. There are lots of interpretations of this story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. And it's not that any of those interpretations are bad or wrong, per se, but at least the ones I've grown up with are pretty unsatisfying. Here's the story. Jesus tells the disciples to get into the boat while he goes up the mountain to pray. A storm arises on the sea, and the disciples in the boat become anxious. They see Jesus walking toward them on the water. They become afraid and at first think he's a ghost. After Jesus speaks to them, Peter gets out of the boat and walks upon the water toward Jesus. But when he looks around him at the wind and the waves, he begins to sink. Jesus rescues him and helps him back into the boat. The end. So I've heard the sermon before that Peter never should have gotten out of the boat. There was safety and security there, and he left the familiar to venture out into the wild and bad and unfamiliar, and Jesus had to rescue him. Nope, don't like that. I've also heard the sermon that of all the disciples, Peter was the only one who got out of the boat and tried to walk on water. And even though he failed and began to sink, at least he tried, the others just stayed put. But by far, the most popular sermon on this passage that I've heard is that Peter is to be praised for getting out of the boat, for stepping out on faith and walking on the water. He began to sink only because he took his eyes off Jesus. So, like Peter, we need to have the courage to get out of the boat. But unlike Peter, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Okay, I can see that interpretation. Shoot, I've preached it that way before. As I say, I'm beginning to see just how unsatisfying each of these perspectives are. And they're unsatisfying not because they are poor interpretations, but because those interpretations all center the story on Peter. And I think this is more a story about Jesus. For one thing, it's important to note that even Jesus needed to get away to pray and rest. Time and again, Jesus sacrifices his own self-care in order to attend to the needs of the crowds around him. But finally, he recognized the need within himself to rest, to relax, to recharge. In the first two verses of this passage, Matthew tells us twice that Jesus dismissed the crowds, and he tells us twice that Jesus needed to be alone. 
in just two verses. Matthew is showing us how vital rest is, even for the Savior of the universe. And apparently it did Jesus some good, because he arose early in the morning, Matthew tells us, and walked upon the sea toward the disciples. Scholar Mitzi Smith wonders if the disciples at first didn't recognize Jesus because he was, at last, rested and refreshed. Sometimes self-care and Sabbath-keeping seen as indulgent, but resting is actually an act of resistance to the powers of this world that say we are only as valuable as what we produce. Boy, I need to be reminded of that. The second important thing here is that I think this story is meant to say something about the divinity of Christ. For his actions here mimic the God of the Old Testament. You may recall that God rhetorically asks Job if he was the one who walked upon the sea, or whether that was actually God. And as he approaches the boat, Jesus says, Take heart, it is I. The Greek, ego eimi, literally means I am which is the same thing God says to Moses at the burning bush. I think Matthew wants us to know that through his behavior and words, Jesus is God. And we are not. Which gets me thinking. See, I'm beginning to think that we are not meant to walk on water. That's for God alone. Maybe Peter wasn't unfaithful. He was just trying to do that which God does. Maybe he was trying to do it all. Keep the boat afloat, watch the storm, pray for safety, assure the rest of the disciples that it will be okay, and on. And amid his ministry and business, he tried to do God's job too. So maybe we aren't meant to walk on water. Maybe that's God's thing. Maybe we are to do what we are called to do and trust God with the rest. Maybe we can realize that all is not up to us. We are not God's last and only hope. We serve God as best we can. We love others. We work for justice. We strive to bring peace. And then we go home. And then we rest. So much of our weariness, I think. Oh, and I'm speaking squarely to me, but feel free to eavesdrop. So much of our weariness, my weariness, comes from trying to do my work and God's work too. So I've never looked at this text from this angle before, but I think it's worthy of our consideration. What do y'all think? Daniel, thank you for that. It was a, it's a wonderful interpretation, but also I'm just really glad to have another way to look at this passage, something else to chew on as I think about it, because I'm like you, a lot of, the interpretations I have heard in the past and given in the past have been unsatisfying. I think that was a good word choice for that. So I love what you're doing here where you're talking about maybe there's something in the story is telling us that there are things that are left to God and God alone. And I think if we Look through scripture, we can see that the Tower of Babel, people are trying to crawl up to God, build something to get all the way to God. And God says, no, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, often I think that today we often think we're supposed to be doing the judging. But when we read in mm. scripture, that is not our job. 
That is God's job alone. And so I do think that reminding ourselves to pay attention to what is our work as opposed to what is God's work is a very faithful way to behave. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. And so let me tell you how it got there. Okay. I first had this thought, and then I thought it was contradicted by verses 28 and 29, when Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Jesus says, come. Okay. And I was like, Jesus invites him. Well, so I looked into that, and I'm not enough of a Greek scholar to to find and I'll find this interpretation, Dave, and we could put it in the show notes. But the scholar I read said, it's not so much an invitation as it is almost a Jesus replying, if you insist. Okay. Which, and that really changes it, doesn't it? Because it does. it's like, <laughs> suit yourself. If I'm not going to stop you, but it's, it's not so much Jesus inviting this behavior as it is, don't think it's a great idea, but come on. And so mm. if that is true, if that interpretation is accurate, then yeah, I do think, I don't think the walking on the water is necessarily the behavior that we need to be holding up as mm. the model right. behavior. Oh, we just need to figure out how to do this because we can't. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And thank I, you for addressing those because in a lot of the church culture I grew up in, this was always harped on that we can walk on water. And it's always our fault because we take our eyes off Jesus. And so that, so we're trying. And then I took my eyes off Jesus and I failed. And so that's part of our church culture that's just so ingrained on you're always going to fail. <laughs> you're always going to mess up, but you got to, you got to try and you got to try to be something more than you are every single time you kept your eyes off, you took your eyes off Jesus, you saw And then we always feel bad about ourselves, right? This mm -hmm. is part of that, that contradiction in our culture of, trying to be something we're not. And I think that's wonderful. I love how you put this, that this is about Jesus is God is God and we are not, and we're not supposed to be trying to get, and, and most of us are like Peter. If we tell Jesus, if you tell us to do it, we'll do it. And we say that stuff in our church all the time and we're ready to go. And it's like, we're, we're wanting for Jesus to give us permission to do what we're going to do anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Jesus, you're going to do what you're going to do. You're going to have to find out the hard way. And I think that's the truth. Most of us find out the hard way. It's not necessarily because we can't be a, do a miracle because we lost our focus on Jesus as much as the miracle is not ours to do. Yeah. There's a, thanks. There's a funny cartoon, and not to make light of it, but Peter and Jesus are walking upon the water. And Peter goes, how are we doing this? And Jesus says, you have to know where the rocks are. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, but yeah, the, the point is, this is not for us to, maybe, I want to keep saying, because I, I still know what to do with the story, but maybe that's not for us to do. We got enough to do in the boat. But isn't that part of our church culture? We're so wanting to do something great for God, do something so huge that everybody notices and pays attention. And then we can say, here's Jesus. And mm -hmm. that's our natural thing. And as you mentioned, the other guys are all just still in the boat, but maybe there's something to just, and, and Jesus keeps doing this a lot. I think we, with the disciples, especially Peter, who always wants to focus on some big 
extravaganza, some big thing. Look at me so I can tell you about God. And Jesus is just, just be where you are. Be with the humble people work yeah. every day. That's where the gospel work is. Every day with everyday people who are rejected and you're loving them and miracles are happening. Like mm. we talked about last week with food, scarcity and abundance. That's good because, yeah, and again, I'm not jumping on the criticism of Peter here because that's there's been enough of that. But if Peter had just stayed put, Jesus would have made his way to him. Mm-hmm. He was headed that way. Mm-hmm. All of this is beautiful, and I'm loving this conversation, but also I just need to know, did you both really try to walk on water? Because I totally have tried to do that. <laughs> Come on. Own up. Like when you're walking. I, I tried to see how many steps I can get into the pool off the side of the pool. Yes. Before I started thinking, sure. <laughs> Daniel, you have never done that. No, I guess y'all are so much more spiritual than I am. No, ridiculous. <laughs> but come on. I'm no. like, like when you're walking into a pond or lake, yeah. like going to the lake, like trying to like, can I keep my feet on the like, I know I can't. It's not like I actually believed I could. But come on, if you grow up in church and you don't try to walk on water, are you even doing church right? <laughs> I guess not. If you go to the Dead Sea, you almost can. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. Because all the salt. All the salt, yeah. It is interesting to ponder how different we might be in terms of how we live out our faith if we thought about that sentence, we're not meant to dot Mm. and looked at all the places where we put ourselves in a position of authority and wisdom and insight that we really don't belong in. Mm. And how different would we be? How different would the church be if we were careful about that sentence? We're not meant to. Yeah, that reminds me if your church, if your church's worship is centered on the lectionary, we've been working through Matthew, and just a couple of weeks ago, Matthew has a story about a parable of the sower, where the farmer is just scattering seed left and right on the good soil, on the sidewalk, on the rocky path, and when Jesus tells the story, it's almost as if the farmer knows it's not his job to make the seed grow. Mm-hmm. His job is simply to scatter the seed. And so much we take on more than is ours to take on. And that 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 is not to be an excuse for laziness or to say, hey, I'm not going to do anything. But to know what we are able to do, at some point we just have to, and this is where I think so many Folks who really have wonderful intentions and want to save the world just hit the wall and burn out. I couldn't do it all. I couldn't save everybody. And at some point, we have to realize what can we do and trust God to do the rest. I think Sabbath is a way that we remind ourselves. It's one of the most affirming ways that I think that we can begin to practice this by regularly on purpose and intentionally practicing Sabbath and seeing it as a practice because in our society rest, we have to practice at it. We are not good at it. Mm -hmm. 
And, but to take it up as a practice instills a humility that the world will keep spinning even when I take some time off. The chores will get done or they will keep. I, I follow this woman on social media and she is a Hasidic Jew and she, no, not Hasidic. She's an Orthodox Jew, excuse me. And so she really holds to living an Orthodox life. And so she talks often about how she prepares for Sabbath each week. And it is preparing food ahead of time. It is, there are all these little things that they do ahead of time in order to make sure that they rest. And y'all, I don't know that I have ever prepped for rest in my life. It's if I can find a few minutes to grab and like, okay, rest. And then while I'm laying there trying to rest, my brain is spinning about all the things I need to do. I'm sorry. I got preachy and I just kept going. So I'm going to stop. I like, I realized I was just like, I took us all the way to Sabbath and got going. It is fascinating because that's at the heart of what this, what starts this story, right? Oh. We want to be like Jesus by walking on the water, but we're not going to be like Jesus by just taking time and getting away to be by himself. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's where this starts. Yeah. Hey, look at that. I am ADHD, <laughs> and I'm here to tell you Peter had ADHD. Yeah, I, think I so am too. just here to tell you <laughs> yep. all the classic signs, mm-hmm. speaking out of turn, impulsivity. I mean, Walking toward water, it starts going, <laughs> oh, the wind, <laughs> the wind, the waves. Oh, God, it's a storm. Squirrel, yeah. squirrel. An interesting part of theology, if you actually begin reading theologians and studying even systematic theology, which is one of Bert's favorite things we know. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Definitely. Theology is thinking about God, as Fisher Humphreys reminds us. But part of it- A good Mississippi Baptist. I just want to interject that. (laughs) But it um, always, theology includes insight about humanity about what does it mean to be in this human condition, to be thrown into this life as humans? What does it mean for us to be created in this way? And one of the things that we have to come to grips with is the fact that we have limitations. There are real limits to what we can do. There are real limits to how long we live. Realizing the limits of our existence can be a really good thing because we realize the value of what we do have, of the time we do have, of the power we do have, the ability we have. But it is folly to think we have all the time or that we can do anything. And that's hard for us. We've talked about how our culture infuses us with this almost bravado of what we can do. And there's a lot of admirable qualities to the the initiative we can take to make things happen, to make the world a better place, to do something good for others. All those are wonderful. But if we forget the limits that are built in to our humanity, I think it distorts what we're created to be. 
And maybe this passage, as well as others we've pointed to, is a reminder that this humanity, it's okay. That's how we're created. And we're created with these limits that help define us. And as musician Kyle Matthews said, I was once at a workshop where he was leading, and Kyle's a musician and a minister, and he was talking about songwriting and what we could learn from songwriters. And he said, people think songwriters are just this incredibly creative batch. They could just create wonderful things out of thin air. And he said, but all music happens within very strict limits. Mm -hmm. Humans have a range of sound we can hear. There's only so many notes. There are only so many chords. There are only so many words for lyrics. There's dynamic range. There's music happens within a set of limits. But what beautiful music happens <laughs> within mm-hmm. a set of limits. So maybe it's this is a good word for us, I think, today, to read this passage and be reminded of how wonderful it is that Jesus is God and could do God things, and how wonderful it is that we are created as we are, and we can be at peace doing, well, human things. It's good enough. <laughs> Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.